consider what you might be saying to us this morning. Um, Help us to hear, help us to believe and help us to obey. We ask in Jesus' name. Now the idea of having a temple is so different to us having a church building to meet in like we do have here. I don't know if you thought about that before or if you just assumed that you know, church and temple were basically the same thing. Uh, you might have visited all sorts of temples in your holidays. Um, all sorts of different religions have buildings which hold some special significance and many of them are now tourist attractions around the world, even the the big empty churches in Europe. But what a temple communicates is, here is a space where God is. And if you go into that space, you're somehow entering into the presence and influence and some sort of relationship with the divine. And so you don't just stumble into places like that. If you go there, you go there usually purposefully and you go there to do some sort of business with what spiritual reality that that temple stands for. I think that's where the old phrase comes from that some people use from time to time who consider themselves pagan and not Christian. They say they wouldn't dare darken the doors of a church unless the, unless the roof would collapse on them. You know, there's spaces that people don't want to go because they don't want to do business with a spiritual reality that's present there. Now, where does the Lord and Creator of the world live? Surely not in a house built by the hands of men and women as if any piece of architecture could be adequate to house the true and living God. He owns, He he made everything that is. I have a hard time figuring out what to give my dad for Father's Day each year because anything he wants, he basically already has. And that's just my dad. What kind of house do you give God who's the maker of everything? Besides, God is spirit. Uh, He doesn't need a roof over his head. He doesn't need shelter from the rain or the sun. He doesn't need a place to crash. You can't just build a box and expect God to crawl into it because why should he? Why should he? Unless, of course, it was his idea. Unless God himself should choose to make a space like that possible and choose to make his dwelling among people, creating this kind of opportunity where people might be able to go and have access to the God of the universe. It's an incredibly gracious thing for him to do, an incredible privilege for people to have a space where they can meet God, they can draw near to God especially considering all the water that's under the bridge of our relationship with our Creator, the fact that we turn our back on Him, the fact that He would still invest in having a space where He would be, that we could go to, is huge. That was what made the Jerusalem Temple so unique, I think. The legacy and significance of the entire nation of Israel is basically to do with the fact that God made Himself present with them. For only God knows what reason He chose them. Out of all the people groups on the planet, and starting with their great ancestor Abraham, God from nowhere says, you will be my people. I will be your God. And so beginning with the tent called the tabernacle or the tent of meeting, all the way in Israel's history through 
to when they had the temple built, there was always the place where God would be amongst Israel. And there was only the one place. It wasn't like lots of spots, like we have churches in just about every suburb in Sydney. The one spot where God was, was the Jerusalem temple. The temple itself, as you might know, was set up as a set of uh, concentric sort of rectangles. Uh, Right in the middle was a place called the Holy of Holies, uh, the the place where the presence of God was. And in there is the Ark of the Covenant that contained the relics from Israel's salvation history, right in the centre. That was the room where the presence of God was. Only the high priest was allowed into there, and then only once a year, and then only if he was carrying the blood of a sacrifice. So that was the Holy of Holies. Outside of that is another room uh, where only the priest could go. So not just the high priest, but the other priest could go as well. I guess outside of that, there is a space for the men of Israel. And then outside, there's there's a space for the women of Israel. And then outside of there is this outer court, I guess, where all the other nations could could come. Uh, The non-Jewish people could come. So you get that? There's a non-Israelis, Israelite women, Israelite men, the priests, and then the high priest with the sacrifice once a year. And depending on who you were, you could only get so close. Asians, uh, Indians, Brits, Europeans, all of us would have had the cheap seats right on the edge. Jews had priority. And the time when Jesus goes up to the Jerusalem temple in John chapter 2 would have been a pretty busy time. We're told it was just before the Passover, the big Jewish festival, and everyone's doing temple things. This was the time to go. And people would come from out of town. They would come from, uh, if you were, uh, I guess, um, adhering to the Jewish faith and, and you wanted to do Passover, you go to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. You want to be in Jerusalem to pay the visit to the temple. All different things you could do there. Uh, expressing all different aspects of your relationship with God. as spelt out in the Old Testament, which they developed over the course of centuries of having had the temple. Uh, you can offer up thank offerings there uh, and burnt offerings at the temple as an expression of gratefulness and, and gratitude to the God who's provided for you uh, as a bit of a praise to God. You could, there'll be some people doing sin offerings there. Uh, if they were convicted in the heart of the sin that they'd they're done against God or against other people, you can go there to the temple to make a sacrifice and so make atonement. Uh, There were drink offerings you could pour out, uh, lots of different types of offerings and sacrifices and some people would just go to the Jerusalem temple and use it as a space to pray uh, because there you were in closer proximity to the God who dwelt in the Holy of Holies, the God of all creation. But for a lot of the people using the temple and making use of the whole sacrifice system, there was a transaction going on when you went to the temple. It wasn't just to go to pray, you were there to do some business. They were bringing animals like bulls and goats and doves to be offered as sacrifices. Or food products like uh, grain and wine and oil. Giving them over to be burnt uh, or poured out as part of their worship. It was their way of relating to God as per temple rules. And the guidelines were all in the Old Covenant law about 
you know, what kind of animals and how many of them that you use for if you're doing a sin offering as opposed to if you're doing a burnt offering or making a grain offering. Now, all that was well and good if you happened to live in Jerusalem and you had the temple in your backyard and also if you happened to own a flock and a farm. But, you know, you'd have a bull and a goat handy if, you're, if you had those things and you lived in Jerusalem. But what if you're from out of town? What if you're a Jew who lived on the other side of Israel? What are you supposed to do? Walk your goat all the way from where you live across the country to the temple steps, bring it up to the priest. Travelling was hard enough back then, let alone having to worry about transporting your livestock and the other things you were bringing to the temple. So, for convenience sake, it seems by the time uh, Jesus was around at a temple, the Jerusalem temple, there was this market situation going on at the Jerusalem temple, providing the service of making available suitable animals and other things that you'd need for temple use, for worship and for sacrifices. You could buy them there and then. There was even a, a currency exchange there in case uh, you'd come from abroad and you had different, um, different types of money and from different places. Uh, it's not pay wave, but it's quite smart and it's quite convenient to have this sort of service for temple users. Certainly much better than having to drag your bull all the way to Jerusalem. You can buy one when you get there. It's like having uh, popcorn vendors at a movie or um, those people selling those clappy sticks at uh, stadiums so that if you want to cheer on your team, you can, you can buy these things and whack them together and it's like a giant hand at the football, all that sort of stuff. It's all good business. It's sort of convenient, it makes life easier. So why does Jesus get so angry about this market? You see what he does there in, in verse 14? Chapter 2, verse 14 of John. In the temple courts, Jesus found people selling cattle, sheep, doves and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers, overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. He's not happy. Jesus is literally whipping people to drive them out and away from this market. He's flipping tables. He's causing havoc with animals to get them out of there. Even those people who are changing money, if you can imagine, you've got a pile of money on a table in front of you, your job is to change, and then someone comes and flips your table that's full of coins. And then as you're trying to pick up your stuff, he's whipping you to get you out of there. It's really annoying. (laughs) It's a nightmare. There's no Christmas carols about this sort of stuff. What's he so angry about? There's a hint in verse 14 and 15, because it tells you, where are they? They're in the temple courtyard. Now, do you remember who gets to use which bit of the temple? You've got the high priest in the middle, you've got the the other priests, you have the, the men and the women, and then the courtyard. Who's supposed to be in the courtyard? That's where the nations get to come to draw near, have a space to come and worship and listen and learn and be blessed as they try to express something of a relationship with the God of Israel. Guess where the market is? It's in the courtyard. They put it just outside where they needed it. Uh, the Jews were primarily the ones using the temple anyway. And in putting the market where they did, they effectively, it sounds like they took up 
room that should have been for the people of the other nations to come to the place where God was. They squeezed them out. Uh, It seems the other nations were an afterthought because having a market there, making it more convenient for Israel was the priority. And it was convenient, I'm sure. I'm sure it would be way more convenient to do what they were doing than to um, have to march march your sheep and cattle from across the country. But it was also making it harder for other people to come to God who didn't have the same level of access that you did. So Jesus kicks them all out. He knows what the space is meant to be for. And he is passionately furious that Israel couldn't see it. They were so busy playing temple, they'd lost sight of the purposes of God here. And he has to literally whip them in a shape and wake them up so they can see what, where they've gone wrong. You can see here, can't you, that what Jesus starts here is going to put him at odds with the Jewish religious authorities of his day. He's on a collision course. Because what he looks like he looks like to them is this hothead who's going around challenging the practices and institutions that established and essentially calling for a spiritual revolution of people to wake up and actually care about what God's thinking. He's pushing for spiritual renewal. And the people who are there on the day, they want to know who are you? You've kicked everybody out who were selling and buying. We did what you said because you had a whip, but verse 18, Jews responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? This is new. This is different. And I get the feeling that I know quite what to think about what's just happened here. But if Jesus actually is somebody, they want him to prove it. And Jesus answers them, verse 19. Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. They replied, It's taken 46 years to build this temple. Are you going to raise it in three days? But the temple he'd spoken spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what had been said and then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. They don't understand Jesus' answer. And he can't really blame them. He's, he's standing in the temple. He's been talking about the temple and then he says, destroy this temple and I'll raise it. And what were they supposed to think? He's referring to the obvious, isn't he? The, the building that they're standing in. So I suspect a lot of Jews that day walked away from their temple visit very confused and very sore. But maybe also a bit curious about this Jesus character who's doing and saying some remarkable things. Now, we know what Jesus is talking about. These disciples too, in retrospect, they they figure it out. See, Jesus does answer their question. They want proof that he's got the authority to do and say the things that he's doing and saying. Jesus says my validation will be my resurrection. When you kill me and I rise from the dead because I'm the son of God, you will see that you should have listened. But we're jumping the gun a bit here because we're only at chapter 2. We've got a lot further to go before we get to Jesus' death, let alone his resurrection. 
But there's a couple of things I want to draw your attention to, even in this story that we've covered so far. The first is this remarkable thing Jesus says in verse 19, which we've just looked at. Destroy this temple and I will raise it in three days. They replied, it's taken 46 years, are you going to raise it in three days? But the temple he'd spoken about was his body. I am the temple, is what Jesus is claiming. The space where God is, the, the, the space that God has graciously provided where you can draw near to him, the place of sacrifice, the place of praise and thankfulness where people can come to know God is, is no longer a place. If Jesus is, is serious, the place where all those things happen is not a place, it's a person. Jesus is where God is. He is how we can draw near to God. His sacrifice is the one that counts. He is the centre of praise and our thankfulness. He is who we look at if we want to know God. And he is the one we have to come to to offer our lives in obedience. And if you have that sort of temple, it kind of makes every other temple obsolete. That's why our church buildings aren't particularly special places in the same way that the Jerusalem temple was. This building is nice. Um, it's nice for us. It's very functional. But God's presence isn't particularly bound to the bricks here or any other building for that matter. We used to have a name, if you remember, for this main meeting space uh, in, that our Sunday services were held in, in our church. Um, I think we used to call this sort of space the, the sanctuary. Uh, it was mirroring the sort of temple language, Jerusalem temple language. But I think that kind of language is unhelpful in that I think it confuses where the action really is. If you have a space called a sanctuary, you almost expect that God's doing special, spe- special things in that space. But God, where God dwells is in Jesus. And he lives in us by his spirit. Not in the buildings. Jesus lives in us. He is our sanctuary. And if people want to see where God is and what he's doing, they can look at Jesus. But also by extension, they should be able to look at us who call him our Lord and who have him in our hearts and in our fellowship together. If you're looking to find God so you can do some business with him, let me do you the service this morning of pointing you to Jesus. He is the space God has given for you to come to know him, to draw near. Look at Jesus in his word. Join us this year as we, as we read through John and see the man who is God and see what he's done for us. The second thing I want to draw your attention to uh, is how you see in this story Jesus is cleaning out the temple. And as convenient as having a market there was for, for God's people, the Jews, it was, it was in the real... It was in the way, it seemed. This market was in the way of the real purposes of God who wanted the nations to come to him. And it makes me think, I wonder if we have any habits and conveniences that we're hanging on to. We who have access to God, I wonder if there's things that we're doing that actually 
stops others from coming to hear and believe in Jesus. Whether that's in our personal lives or whether that's in our life together as a church. Are there practices that we engage in, things that we fill our lives with that might be good and convenient for us in our worship but actually act as barriers to people who don't yet know God? It can't just be about us and our comfort and our convenience. Not when there's a whole world out there who are lost and we call on a God who desires for people to be able to come to him. And so what I want to leave you with as we uh, look at this passage is to consider what can we do to make it easier, not harder, for people to come to him. Amen. Thank you, Johnny. I'm reminded also that you know we are called God's temple, that the Holy Spirit now resides in each one of us. And we are called to be a loving people who is meek, gentle, kind, but at the same time, like Jesus, we need to have the zeal that's all-consuming God. Um, I invite you to stand as we sing our the next song, I want to, if God's done business with you this morning, um, and there are things in your life that you need cleaning out, um, just like the marketplace, and, and uh, I'll, we're going to, as we go through the first uh, verse uh, of the, the next song, we're not going to sing, we're going to use that time to reflect, um, and if you need to pray about uh, what God is doing in your own life uh, and we'll um, sing through the second verse. So stand with me um, as we use the, the, this time to reflect on what God needs to do in each one of our lives.
Cleanse me from within. 